This is the Mark Podcast from Lifeway Women. We're your hosts, Elizabeth Heineman and Kelly King. Each episode, we'll talk about what God is doing, how He has and is marking each of us. Sometimes that will be through interviews, and sometimes we'll have conversations around the table. We're so glad you've joined us today. Welcome to the Mark Podcast. I'm Elizabeth Heidman. And I'm Kelly King. Last summer, we were able to provide the full teaching sessions for Jen Wilkins, the Sermon on the Mount Bible Study, right here on the Mark Podcast. We heard from so many of you that you loved that content and you wanted to hear more like it. So for the next eight weeks, we are going to do Kelly Mentor's All Things New Bible Study together. We'll release the audio of one teaching session per week right here on the Mark Podcast. All Things New is one of several Bible studies Kelly Minter has published with LifeWay, and she has graciously granted us permission to play the audio here. Please note that this is copyrighted material, so we ask that you not reproduce it. Now before we dive in, know that the teachings in these sessions expand on the work that you'll do in the Bible study book. So for the full impact of the study, you'll want to get the Bible study workbook. You can purchase the book at LifeWay.com slash AllThingsNew. We have a sample session there if you want to use it while you wait for your book to come in the mail. These audio teaching sessions will be available for a limited time due to copyright restrictions. We will leave the audio up until April 30th. We hope that gives you time to get the book and study along with us. Over eight sessions, Kelly Minter is going to lead us through the letter of 2 Corinthians, exploring the anchoring truths of bearing treasures in jars of clay, meeting Christ through a pressing thorn, opening wide your heart in the midst of hurtful relationships, and what it means to embrace the lost and lonely as ministers of the new covenant. Each of us has a message to proclaim and live by. Because of Jesus, the old has gone and the new has come. Now, here's Kelly Minter. I want to personally welcome you to this study of 2 Corinthians, All Things New. I am so excited about this study. I have to be honest with you. I don't know that there has been another book of the Bible that I have studied that has so personally challenged and changed me. Um, I, I just, I got into this study and I got into it mostly because, you know those hit verses about the thorn in the flesh or the treasures in jars of clay, or we have this, the Holy Spirit as a deposit, um, where to be away from the body is to be at home with the Lord. And we've got kind of those, all those verses, you know, in fact, it was my dad is a, my dad's a pastor and and, uh, my mom and dad started a church 40 some years ago. And it's just the funniest thing because this is the kind of conversations that uh, a daughter will have with her dad, who's a pastor. And I, when I called him, I said, yeah, so I'm thinking about doing second Corinthians for my next study. My dad sat back and he's like, you know, I, I might be mistaken, but I think that there are more quotable verses in 2 Corinthians than even 1 Corinthians. Um, Because it's a competition. And and so I was like, yeah, you know what, Dad? Maybe maybe Paul was getting better, you know? 2 Corinthians maybe has a few more tweetable things in it. I'm not sure. But I was so drawn to all of those passages, and so I jumped in for all the reasons that I knew that I love 2 Corinthians. But do you know, it was all the things that I didn't know about this letter, all the things that I didn't know about it that have just so moved me and so changed me. 
And so to do a fair job of, of starting this book out, I just, I just want to give you a little bit of context in, in history. And honestly, this is the part I don't like. This is the part I was not good at in school, was remembering dates and geography and places and maps and history and culture and all that stuff. It's like, I just want to get to the stuff that changes my heart. You know, that's what part that I want to get to. But, but the, the context matters. It really does matter. And, and there's a lot of that in the written part of the homework. So you're going to get that there. But I do want to just note a few things just so we, we know where we're starting from. Paul wrote 2 Corinthians from Macedonia, probably around AD 54, 55. Corinth at that time, 80,000 people living in ancient Corinth at the time of Paul's writing, 80,000. Okay, that was a big city in ancient day. There were about 20,000 people on the outskirts. Corinth sat on an isthmus, which means that there were two harbors. And so there were ships coming in and out and trading, and you could buy every imaginable good, wine, silk, clothing. You could have every experience that you wanted to have pretty much in this world. You could have it in Corinth. You know, there were a lot of really dark things going on in Corinth at the time. There were a lot of great things going on, but there was slavery, there was prostitution, um, there was all kinds of corruption and immorality and darkness. It was, it was the city. What I think is really significant for us to know is that Paul wrote this letter to a group of people that he was in conflict with. Uh, not necessarily, he wasn't necessarily in conflict with them, but there was great opposition that the Corinthians had toward Paul. Uh, they, they, they were in the, right in the middle of judging him. They questioned his integrity. Uh, they questioned his apostleship. Uh, they, they had actually kind of found their own apostles, which uh, Paul's going to talk about at the end of the book, and, and they called themselves the super apostles, which is kind of hard to come up against the, the super apostles. I mean, I'd just be happy to be an apostle, you know, but you get super apostle. And, and so he was, he was competing with that. They, they, had a they paid great attention to social status, the Corinthians did, to wealth, to power. They, they compared themselves amongst themselves. They judged according to the world standards. And they were upset that Paul didn't come to Corinth when he said he was going to come to Corinth. And he had great reasons for changing his plans. But they didn't understand that. And they judged him. And this is just a free sidebar. But reading this letter, it just makes me think, you know what? We need to do better. All of us need to do better at just giving people a break, cutting people some slack sometimes. Because the Corinthians probably had some good reason for thinking that Paul was wrong. They, they might have really been able to concoct a pretty accurate story, but they didn't know his heart. And if they had just cut him some slack, just given him a break, you know, there might have been some more clear understanding there. But they questioned his integrity. They questioned what he had to say about Jesus Christ. And they will find out in just a moment, they began to withdraw their hearts from him. Paul writes 2 Corinthians out of great desperation out of incredible grief because he loves these people so much and they've pulled back from him. And maybe you can identify with that. So as you get into this book, just know that every single thing that Paul writes is out of a place of pain. He happens to be in a place of relational uh, dissension and hardship right now. And so that, that's kind of a little bit of the context here. Now, I was trying to get my hands around an introduction. How do you introduce something like 2 Corinthians? 
and I don't know that I've done a great job of it here, but this is the, this is the sentence that I came up with, okay? And, and don't worry about writing this down because it's a terribly clumsy sentence, but we're gonna work our way through it, okay? Second Corinthians is a letter to a church in a city written out of weakness with an open heart about a new ministry that changes lives because Jesus has made all things new. Okay, so if you're an English teacher, please don't diagram that <laughs> sentence. It's probably not even a real sentence, honestly. Um, but a letter to a church in a city written out of weakness with an open heart about a brand new ministry that changes everything because Jesus has come to make all things new. That's kind of, after sitting with this book for several months, that's kind of how I do it. And it's a run-on sentence. But, and that was me like cutting things back. So first, what I want to do is I want to start with this verse 1 and verse 2 of 2 Corinthians, the very top of the book. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God in Corinth, together with all the saints throughout Achaia, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now in my Bible, I have that line, to the church of God in Corinth, underlined. And the reason I have that underlined is because it reminds me that Paul wrote this letter to an actual city. So how in the world can Paul say to the church of God in Corinth? That is such an oxymoron to me. How can the church of God be thriving in a place like Corinth? And I have to tell you, that little phrase is one of my favorites in the whole letter because it reminds me that the gospel is made for real life. You know, I love, like when I'm on a mission trip or I'm at church or I'm with believers in Jesus Christ and we're together and we're talking about the Lord and we, and we get together and we're worshiping and we just, and I'm like, I'm so into the gospel in those settings. I, I just believe it. But what I realize that I need so desperately is I need the church of God in the city. I need the church of God when I'm not in those places. I need that power of the gospel when I'm out in real life. And Paul is writing to real life. This is as real as it gets right here in Corinth. And what we'll discover in this study is that the church of God is meant to thrive in real life. That's the first thing that we'll see. The church of God is meant to thrive in everyday circumstances, complexities, difficulties, hardships, pain, struggles, messiness, all of that. The gospel is meant to thrive right there. And I pray that, that you will get that and I will get that throughout this entire letter. The second thing in that very clunky sentence is that it was written out of weakness. That's something that you will not be able to miss. As you go through 2 Corinthians and as we work our way through, you will not be able to miss how weak Paul is, how much suffering he has endured, how much pain he is in over the broken relationship. But we're going to come to love our weaknesses, not because we love weakness, but because of what Christ does through us in our weakness. One of those quotable verses that I think my dad was referring to is out of 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. And Paul says, 
But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all surpassing power is from God and not from us. Jars of clay. It was a very ubiquitous item that was used during those times, just a little jar of clay. And Paul didn't mean that we weren't valuable here. I think what Paul was saying is we're so fragile. We're so weak. And, and the knowledge of Jesus Christ and that treasure inside that earthen vessel, when that comes shining through, it's the most glorious thing because there's no confusing, is it coming from us or is it coming from God? Well, of course it's coming from God because we're just this fragile, weak vessel. Paul's going to talk so much about our weakness. And I don't know if you are like me, but I have tried my whole life to <laughs> strengthen my weaknesses, to eschew my weaknesses, to sometimes really hate my weaknesses, to compensate for my weaknesses. Paul says, that is where the power of Jesus shines. I um, got a phone call just a few days ago. I was just sitting down to study. You know how this goes. You're just sitting down to, what, sit down with your kids or make a dinner or get on your computer or whatever. I was just sitting down, and it lights up, and it's my dear friend, my dear, dear friend, who is not fast on the phone. You know those, you know those friends? Like, you just see it, and you're like, oh, I love her, but oh. Oh, I don't know if I have time for this. And there's something that I just knew I needed to pick it up, so I picked it up, and she was so sweet. She said, Kelly, my daughter is in Nashville, um, and, and she was explaining about her uh, mother-in-law to me that her mother-in-law had fallen and was very, very sick, and her daughter, my friend's daughter, had found her mother-in-law on the ground, and the ambulance was on its way. And so I shot out the door, and I ran to the house, and they were, they were putting, we call her Vovo, because that's the Portuguese word for grandma, and her grandchildren are um, Brazilian, and so we call her Vovo, and they had Vovo in the ambulance, and so the ambulance goes off, and I get in my car, and I follow that ambulance over there, and Vovo is 82, and even though she has um, Brazilian grandchildren, she is actually British. Her son married a Brazilian. And she is 82 Queen of England type British. <laughs> and so she gets in there, they do an emergency surgery, they say that she's in really, really, really touch and go shape and uh, that if her granddaughter had not found her, she was literally an hour from death. And this is a strong, this is a strong English woman. I can't quite overestimate how strong this 82-year-old lady is, okay? Well, she got, went through surgery. A few days later, I come to visit her, and she's just really not conscious. She's not alert. And we're all praying, Lord, have mercy, have mercy on this woman, because the Lord's just pursuing her. She's just an awesome lady, and the Lord's pursuing her. I'm like, please, Lord, give us more time with Vovo. And so my friend April and I, we walk into the room, my friend Mary Catherine, and, and she just has her eyes closed, and she's not speaking, she's not responding to anything, and she had been like that for almost 48 hours. And so we just walk up, and we just have her hand on our sh shoulder, and 
friend April's got her hand on there and we start just praying. And as soon as April says, amen, all of a sudden, Vovo, oh dear God, <laughs> oh dear God, I've gone. I've gone. I've gone. Oh dear. Not opening up our eyes, nothing. We're like, Vovo, you haven't gone. We were just praying. And, and then you're kind of worried because you're thinking, I hope it's better than that if she has gone because Paul tells us in chapter five that to be away from the body is to be at home with the Lord and, and it's going to be really good and we're excited and so we're kind of nervous like, oh, uh, I hope she's still here with us because that would make more sense and never opens up her eyes though. About 10 minutes later, all of a sudden, she kind of just opens up and Gills, I'm still here. I'm still here, girls. I'm not going. Well, whoopee, whoopee, I'm still here. And we're like, Vovo, you are still here. And I'm telling you, that night was a treat, ladies. It was a treat to be there. And the next day, she was far more lucid and has made a great recovery. And we were sitting there, and I said, you know, Vovo, things are going to have to change. You can't be so proud and strong and independent. You're going to have to tell your friends, and you're going to have to tell your family when you're not feeling well. And you're going to have to let us into your life a little bit. And you're going to have to let God just love you and get in there. And you know what she said? It's amazing. She was lay, laying there, hooked up to every imaginable thing, in her weakest state probably ever in her whole life. And she said, I know relying on people and relying on God, that right now is my greatest consternation. <laughs> now, I haven't heard that word consternation in a while. <laughs> it's like, I don't think that's a good thing. Anxiety, worry, that's my greatest concern, is that I'm going to have to be weak. Weak before other people and weak before God, that's my greatest consternation. And I just looked at Vovo and I was like, that's all of our greatest consternations. <laughs> until, until we understand what Paul will tell us in chapter 12, where he says, I was weak. I was so weak. And Jesus said in verse 9, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. We're going to talk a lot about that. But it's a letter to a church in a city written out of great weakness. And no longer does our weakness have to be our greatest consternation. It will be our blessing because we will embrace it and we will know that when we are weak, that is when the power of Christ rests upon us. And so we'll learn to our, embrace our weaknesses instead of resisting them because when we're weak, we're strong in the Lord. So letter to a city written out of weakness with an open heart. We find out in chapter six, I'll just read this. Paul says in verse 11, we have spoken freely to you, Corinthians, and opened wide our hearts to you. We are not withholding our affection 
from you, but you are withholding yours from us. What a painful, painful passage, but what a beautiful passage that somehow in the middle of all of the attacks and all of the onslaughts, Paul somehow was able to keep an open heart. And it literally means for the heart to be stretched open. And how was he able to keep it open like that? Because I don't know if you're like me, but when people hurt me, betray me, wound me, misunderstand me, judge me, my heart tends to do this. Bam. And I either withdraw or I retaliate. (laughs) Oh. And Paul says, no, as believers, we're going to keep open hearts, even before those. And we're going to keep speaking freely. And we're going to do it with the meekness and the gentleness of Christ. And so there may be some of you right now, you are in a difficult relationship. And you're pained. And you just want to batten down those doors and just shut your heart to the people around you. And Paul is going to say, no, 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 don't do that. And I, I honestly, I think some of those things that batten the door down, I think it's bitterness, unforgiveness, anger, rage, revenge, gossip, all of that stuff. And Paul says, no, 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 no. We're going to, we're going to focus on the power and the love of Jesus Christ with an open heart. And so I, I can tell you right now, I, I struggle with this. I, I want to keep an open heart. I don't always do a great job of it. But as I have worked through this letter over and over and over, I am so challenged how Paul has done it. How has he done it? And so we will determine in the study to keep our hearts stretched open to others, even when life and people can be so hard. And then out of my extraordinarily clunky, clunky sentence, he wrote with an open heart about a new ministry that changes lives. Again, you don't need to turn here, but in chapter 3, verse 6, Paul says that, that God has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit, for the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. And so because of all the opposition that Paul was getting, because of all the people that were so upset with him and, and judging him by the world standards, do you know that he takes nearly four chapters to basically explain what Christian ministry looks like and what it is? That was, so, that was such revelation for me when I got into this. Chapters 3, 4, 5, 6, he basically talks about what the power of the gospel is, what ministry looks like. And here, it, he, the reason I went to this verse is he kind of sums it up here because he says, listen, this competency, it comes from God. And listen, we're not doing ministry the old way. We're not doing it the letter of the law, judgment, self-righteousness. We, have, we now have a new ministry through the Holy Spirit that gives freedom and it gives life. And Paul takes four chapters to encourage us to live under that new covenant. The old covenant was the law. It was good. It wasn't bad, but it was to lead us to Jesus Christ. And now we're living under this new covenant. We have this very, very powerful ministry. You know, the other day I had my my niece and my nephew. Will is five, Harper's three. And I had the two of them in a little stroller. And I'm walking down the street, my neighborhood. And this guy's biking up this way and and coming toward us. And he's got his helmet and... 
He's got the cleats that click into the pedals and he's got the outfit and the whole thing. He even has spandex on, which I just feel like if you're gonna wear spandex while you're biking, you are a serious professional biker. Well, we're, he's coming close to us and he tries to get up on the curb and he just wipes out right there in front of the kids. And I'm so worried and concerned and I'm thinking, oh my goodness, what do I do? And fortunately, he just kind of popped right back up. I don't know how he did it, but he got right back up on his bike and Will, without even just missing a minute, he just said, and that's why I want to keep my training wheels on. Gonna, that right there is exactly why those training wheels are staying on. And, and right here, chapter three, we'll get there soon. Paul says, time to take the training wheels off of the old covenant. Old covenants back there, time to get those training wheels off and time to get on the bike of the new covenant. And it's a glorious, glorious ministry and it changes lives and some of the things that we'll talk about that we're gonna live by the, the spirit freely. We, we will have an amazing comfort that comes from God and, and we are going to be led in triumphal procession. Um, we will, we're gonna talk about heaven, the hope that is coming for us in heaven because all of this stuff is going to fade away. And, and, and heaven is not some far off place. It's to be at home with the Lord. And we're going to get all of that. And, he says, and, and then he says, because of this new covenant, we're going to be ministers of reconciliation. We're literally going to help people make peace with God. We're his ambassadors. And because we've become ministers of reconciliation, we don't want to sully ourselves with the corruption of the world. And, and we don't want to get all involved and entangled in all that worldly dark stuff because we have things to do. He says, because as a result of the new covenant, we're going to be insanely generous. Chapters 8 and 9, just insanely generous because of this new covenant, because of what Christ has done for us and because we're not living for this life. And, and because of the new covenant, we're going to have power to tear down strongholds and to combat arguments that set itself up against the knowledge of God. And, and you know what? We're not going to have to compare ourselves amongst ourselves. We don't even have to waste time doing that anymore because every single person has an assignment and a field that has been assigned to them. And we're going to get to that in chapter 10. And so it's just, it's a place of freedom. And then we're going to get to what we touched on tonight, that Christ's grace is sufficient. His power is made perfect in weakness. We're going to have hope for our relationships because of this new covenant. And ultimately, we will realize that we are more poised for spiritual ministry than we ever thought we were. Because that competency does not come from us. It comes from God. You and I, you and I are poised far more for spiritual ministry than we ever, ever thought we were. Why is that true? Because Jesus Christ came to make all things new. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. So I want to invite you to take the journey with me. I can't tell you how honored and humbled I am through the written part of the study and through the video part to come alongside you and to encourage you. Um, my prayer for you is that if you are struggling in any kind of relationships, if you've wondered about heaven, if you 
are dealing with any kind of stronghold or you're suffering in a trial or you're trying to figure out how in the world the gospel works in the city, in real life. If you've had a thorn in your flesh that continues to plague you. If you want power and weakness, I'm just, I'm just telling you, it's just all here in this book. It's all right here. And so my prayer for you is that you will make a commitment for the next seven weeks to dig into the Word of God, because truly He has come. Jesus Christ has come to make all things new. Thank you for listening to the Mark Podcast. We'll be releasing all eight teaching sessions of All Things New Bible Study right here on the podcast for the next eight weeks. As a reminder, we will leave the audio up until April 30th. Be sure to get a Bible study book, schedule some Zoom calls with your Bible study pals, and listen in. You can find all of Kelly Mentor's LifeWay Bible Studies by going to lifeway.com slash kellymentor. If you're loving this Bible study content like we are, let us know. Tag us at LifeWayWomen or use the hashtag MarkedPodcast on all your social media. Let us know what you're learning. If you like getting Bible study content this way, or if you have ideas for future episodes. We are so grateful you're listening and we want to know how to serve you well. Goodbye.